Welcome to the Wounds of the Faithful podcast, brought to you by DSW Ministries. Your host is singer, songwriter, speaker, and domestic violence advocate, Diana Winkler. She is passionate about helping survivors in the church heal from domestic violence and abuse and trauma. This podcast is not a substitute for professional counseling or qualified medical help. Now, here is Diana. Welcome to the podcast, everybody. Happy spring. I hope it's spring where you are. It's definitely spring here. Hope you're enjoying the flowers that are blooming and the warmer weather. I'm not enjoying the allergies that come with that, but I do have some allergy pills and I do have some allergy eye drop. But yeah, enjoying those things, enjoying planting a new crop for the summer. But somebody said to me that doves are a sign that God loves you. I don't know if that's true or not, but I told her that I have a lot of doves in my backyard, so God must really love me. (laughs) Or the birds like my bird feeder. But yes, true or not, God does love you. You are loved more than you know. He does have a plan for each of our lives. And I hope that he has shown you what that is this week. I hope that you have found comfort this week in the Lord's word, in the Lord's people, I hope. And I hope that you find comfort and hope and grace here on the podcast. That is my goal, is to help you get through life, heal from whatever you've gone through up to now. And we've got a terrific guest for you today. We have Stephanie Olson. And she's a podcaster too. And let me tell you a little bit about her. Stephanie Olson is a speaker and author and the chief executive officer of the Set Me Free Project, a prevention education organization on human trafficking, social media safety, and healthy relationships. Stephanie has a mission to share that each person has an intrinsic value that cannot be changed. Her work on teaching resilience in life and leadership has inspired people across the United States. In her conversational and humorous style, Stephanie will inspire and empower living with years of parent abandonment, eating disorders, alcoholism, and domestic and sexual violence. She overcame through determination, faith, and resilience. She is now a sought-after speaker. Stephanie runs a successful nonprofit organization and loves to speak to audiences of all kinds, faith-based and non-faith-based. She likes to inspire, encourage, and bring hope everywhere she speaks. Yep, sounds like it goes with the theme, right? So I hope that you enjoy my conversation today with Stephanie Olson. Welcome, Stephanie Olson, to the show. Thanks for coming on today. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. We were talking before the show about you're you're in Nebraska and I'm in Arizona. And And it's colder here. (laughs) And the extreme weather that we put up with. Uh, You must like living there. I love Nebraska. Yes, I do love Nebraska. I I do not like cold weather and I don't like ice or snow, 
but Nebraska is a great, um, and Omaha is a, a great city. So, yeah. So tell us about your, your family and what do you like to do for fun up there in Nebraska? Yeah, so I have, um, three kids, uh, two girls, one is an adult who is off, uh, living in New York. And, um, and then I have, um, an 18 year old girl and a 16 year old son. So, uh, definitely a full household and a great, wonderful, supportive husband and a lovely fur baby who is my pride and joy. So what do you, what do you have? I have a little, uh, well, she's not so little. She's actually pretty big, but I have a yellow lab. Her name is Winnie. Oh, and she is adorable. Oh, I love yellow labs. Yeah, they're good. They're good family dogs. So she's a sweetie. Uh, our last German shepherd died um, a couple oh, of years sorry. back from yeah. cancer and we haven't had the heart to replace him. It's hard. But we kind of sort of have a cat. One of the neighbors oh. abandoned the cat when Aww. they moved, just left it behind. And it's a really sweet cat and likes to be outside though. We tried to find yeah. a neighbor who would take her in and, and it only lasted like for a weekend. She liked to be outside. And so a white Siamese. Oh, um, pretty. Yeah. We call her Meow Meow. She's like really vocal cat, <laughs> very sweet. And she just peruses the neighborhood. Oh, cute. Cute. And everybody loves her and we all take turns feeding her and petting her. And oh, so, see, yep. That's why <laughs> so my husband's allergic it. to cats, so we can't let her in the house. So, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, we, that's why we say we have sort of a kind of a cat <laughs> <laughs> that hangs around a little bit. <laughs> Love it. Now, uh, we're going to jump into some of the darker stuff. <laughs> you kind of set the <laughs> stage for us. <laughs> Uh, tell us about what your childhood was like. Yeah. So I always start my story with, I was born because that's where I know it sounds like it's going way back, but, uh, when my, I was born to an amazing woman, but very insecure and a very abusive man. And so my biological father who was black and my mom who was white. So, so not only was I born into this very turbulent home, um, but this was in 69. And so definitely a biracial child in that world was mm. not well accepted. And so I was, was really born into trauma. Um, my biological father was extremely abusive. And although he never hit me, there was a lot of neglect um, early on. And a lot of, actually it's kind of there, my mom tells a story of a time when I was just crying, crying in, um, in my crib and my biological father and his mom would not let her go get me. And so um, almost forced neglect, um, mm. which, which my mom would never have wanted. Well, when she, when I was a year old, she escaped from that relationship. And um, by the grace of God, we were able to move into my grandparents' house, her parents, and you know, a little girl who is thinking, gosh, my own biological father, because 
when, when she escaped, that was a good thing. That was a positive thing. That was a brave thing. But mm. my father did not ever do anything to acknowledge that I was his, didn't acknowledge me as his child. And so as a little girl, you know, you're thinking, gosh, if my own father doesn't love me, I must not be very lovable. And if my own father doesn't think I'm worthy, I must not be worthy. And so that really set up my life and kind of the trajectory of, of my future. Um, had a good life with my grandparents, uh, but we, my grandpa was Jewish. My grandma was Episcopalian. And so I never really knew God other than, you know, I, he's this, you know, guy in the sky and we went to church on, on Easter and Christmas, and we celebrated Hanukkah and Passover and all the things. So wow. as far as I was concerned, it was great because I got presents during Hanukkah and Christmas, and that's all I <laughs> needed to know. <laughs> but when my, um, my mom, when I was about six years old, my mom met, um, my dad who I call my dad. Um, and he adopted me when I was six years old. Mm -hmm. And I always make a very strong distinction between my father and my dad, because any human male can become a father. It takes a very special man to be a dad. Exactly. And, um, so he, was not a Christian. He was not a believer. But when I was six years old, she had a friend who was also Jewish who um, led her to Christ. And um, so she was led to Christ when I was six and and Jesus became a part of our everyday world. And although my dad really kind of rejected it, we started to go to church um, she led me to Christ when I was about nine years old. And I always say I was led to Christ on the potty. She, I, I will never forget because God can come to you anywhere, yes. even on the potty. So this is, <laughs> I was a young girl and loved God, but just did not understand how much he loved me. And mm -hmm. that really understanding of who he was and more importantly, who I was in Christ was just kind of not, not really what, um, I had been taught that, but didn't really embrace that. And so I spent a lot of my years just chasing, um, still that feeling of, I want to feel valued. I want to feel worthy. I want to feel loved. And, um, you know, going into, um, junior high and then high school and college age, I just really became that, that cliche, um, looking for love in all of the wrong places. Um, I developed, um, eating disorders, just trying to find some semblance of control. Mm. And, um, when I was in high school, I found alcohol and realized, wow, this is something that not only numbs that pain that I had experienced all of my life, mm -hmm. but um, really made me feel funnier, made me feel more beautiful, made me feel all of the things. And so all of these things were, were going on in my life. Um, and it was just a really um, traumatic and turbulent 
time. I was during high school and college, I was raped several times. Um, And then I met my husband, my ex-husband in my early twenties. And we spent um, a year just of dating while drunk. That's never a good thing. And um, he was a drug dealer, also not something you should look for in a future mate. So these are some of the advice that I give today. Don't date while drunk and don't date a drug dealer. So those are some of the the simplistic things, but it was a um, very abusive, rocky, horrible um, marriage. Um, We actually got married and um, it was just, it was more of the same, just revisiting those um, situations that my mom had um, been exposed to all her in her early life. So that's really um, where God showed up again. <laughs> it's like before a scump, right? God yeah. showed up. <laughs> exactly. Well, <laughs> and you know what's so great is that when I look back, he never left. Right. It was me who turned away. And, um, and he was there. I can look at just some of the, the moments in my life where he was just there holding on, just waiting, just, um, protecting me in, in certain areas. But, um, I, I wound up leaving my abusive relationship and, um, and through that time, I really started to, to heal from certain things, but I was still drinking every day. Mm-hmm. And that was just a part of my everyday life. I, by the grace of God, this is a, a quick nutshell because this was years later, but by the grace of God, I met and married my husband today, who is an amazing man. And And I say by the grace of God, because truly healthy uh, attracts healthy. And I was not healthy at that time, but, but God, God is God. And, um, we got, we decided, um, you know, we got married. We both turned our life back over to Christ because he had walked away. I had walked away, but I was still drinking every single day. And, um, you know, making excuses. I'm, I'm not an alcoholic because although I drink every day, I don't drink in the morning and I don't drink under a bridge and I don't drink with a bag. You know, we have all of these ideas of why this is so much worse for somebody else. And this isn't my issue. Um, but it was just this series of, of God nudges and finally being able to surrender that, um, that, that I was able to, to let go and, and let God take it on. But it was quite a journey and, um, sounds really easy when I say it in a few minutes, but it was, um, definitely God taking over and doing, doing his thing. Yeah. I've, I've been on podcasts and 
Some of them are like a half an hour and they want to know my testimony. And it's yeah. like, how am I going to do this in 15 minutes? That's, <laughs> that is not easy. So no. I, I do get where you're coming from. You're leaving yeah. a lot of stuff out, but you said a lot of really great things that people can relate to. Yeah. Well, feel free to dive in and ask any <laughs> questions because I am an open book. So <laughs> the long-term effects of your, the trauma that you had gone through, I mean, besides the alcohol, you had confidence issues, yes, father issues, uh, any other long-term effects of your the trauma? Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, I think that we we really need to recognize that trauma from a year to five years old is something that we often think, well, we don't remember that, or, you know, kids are resilient, but that trauma is so significant in a developing child. Mm -hmm. And so when I look at all of the, the things, certainly, yeah, major father issues, um, and even when my dad adopted me, he was, he was, um, you know, a young man who all of a sudden had this instant family with a biracial child and he was human and mm -hmm. only God could have filled that, that deep wound that, um, really revisited me quite often throughout my life. No human could fill that. And so I had a lot of issues, even with my dad, who I, you know, saw as not emotionally um, present, not able to fulfill that. I always wanted to be daddy's little girl. Oh. I always wanted that um, man in my life to, you know, treat me like there was no one else. And eventually I realized I was always daddy's little girl, our heavenly father's little girl. He always had me, mm -hmm. but for years, that's what I wanted. And so I think that I spent years, um, as I say, you know, looking for, for love in all the wrong places. I was extremely promiscuous. Um, I was, um, you know, riddled in, in alcohol and drugs. And so that certainly, um, changes any inhibitions and completely takes you out of what, you know, normal living might look like. But I think part of the reason that, and, and I, you know, want to make real clear that it is never anybody's fault for being raped. It is never anybody's fault for That's being right. abused. Um, but I didn't see myself as somebody who deserves anything more. Mm. And we often have this tendency, I think, to um, really take on some of that shame and some of that blame and really blame ourselves for, well, obviously I'm not worth this. I'm not worth that. It was years. Um, and I, and I, we talked previously, I, I run a nonprofit that does prevention education on sex trafficking and healthy relationships. And I was sitting in a um, presentation. I was one of the presenters and I was presenting with a trauma therapist. And I remember listening to her and it was, this was probably three years ago and it hit me like a ton of bricks. Oh my gosh, 
I was raped. Now I had been raped four times over the course of high school through college. And one of them was just your typical rape story. You know, one of them was just very typical. So, so most people would not walk away from that and going, well, was that me? Was it my fault? But because I had spent all of that time saying, well, I was drunk or I did this, I blamed myself and didn't call it what it was for years because I was not even willing to accept the fact that I could be wronged or that there, that shame was not something that I deserved. And so I was sitting in that presentation three years ago, CEO of a nonprofit that does this work. And I realized, oh my goodness, that is me. And so, Mm. so often we don't even recognize um, that we might be um, victims of abuse or rape because we might not even see it. Well, culture that we live in blames the women for everything. Absolutely. You're the evil temptress and, you know, even in the church, it's like, well, you have to do whatever your husband says and you don't have a voice for yourself. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of scary, abusive stuff that can go on in the church, and, um, and which is why it's so important to know the word of God. Mm-hmm. It's so important to know how he views us, um, because he views us um, so differently than I think sometimes he is portrayed. And um he loves us desperately and he is, yes, he is a holy God, um, but the grace that he has um, and, and the, the time that he gives us to um, say, oh, okay, yep, I'm off track here. I need, I need you um, is just such a blessing. Amen to that. Now, what tools helped you specifically to heal from abuse was there counseling or did you have other other therapies therapy is good (laughs) i did um i actually part of what got me out of my abusive relationship was um a um a suicide attempt actually and I I don't even think I wanted to die. I wanted to sleep. I was so tired. You know, when you're in a relationship like that um, Mm -hmm. with abuse and narcissism and all, it's exhausting. It's exhausting. And um, and so one day I I took some pills and a whiskey chaser and ended up in the hospital for a week. And um, that was one of the best things that ever happened to me, um, because not only was I safe for a week and away from, from my abuser, um, but I was able to start to clearly think, um, I had a week where, you know, there was, there was only therapy coming in. There was no drugs, no alcohol, and it was just a time of, of healing and I was going to therapy three times a week 
um, and even after that, that hospitalization and, um, it was just the best thing for me. And I really struggled because my, my ex had, um, just very, very damaging stuff. He had, he had convinced my parents that I was just a mess. I was in trouble that I needed help, that he was the good guy, that I was this terrible person. Oh, yeah. They're very and good at yeah, doing that. They really are. And so when I wound up leaving him, I had no real support mm-hmm. right away. And, um, and my parents, wonderful parents. So I do not want to give the impression that they, they weren't, but they were lied to. And I had this mindset that you don't tell your parents or your friends, anything negative about somebody that you're dating or married to, because then when you get back together with this person, your parents will hate them. And so I always kept my mouth shut. And, um, and so when I finally left it, it took a while for my parents to recognize the truth behind the abuse and, and what was actually going on. And he stole everything. I mean, I was completely broke. He, he took the house, he took all of our money. And so I had to rely on, on my parents to help me out of that situation. Um, but it was the best time in my life because it was at that time, I really started to turn back to God. Now I had walked away again, but you know, when, when you're stripped of everything Mm -hmm. and all you have is, is God. I mean, that's when he can show up in just the most amazing times and, um, just really show you who he is. Yes. Not always so easy. many, so many parallels to yeah. what I went through. Mm. I never tried to commit suicide, but I wanted, I wanted the abuse to stop. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty much what it was. You're miserable and you want a better life and you don't know how to get out of the terrible life. Right. uh, Because you got some narcissistic, abusive husband. That was me. Yeah. And yeah, I when he was out of town, I packed my stuff and I left. I didn't care about any of the stuff. I left the house and I took my car that was in my name left my dogs behind. Mm. I didn't care. I just wanted out. And I yeah. started all over. And thankfully, my For parents you. believed me when I told yeah. them. Yeah. So I did the same thing you did. I didn't tell anybody because right. I was in the ministry and they would see it as gossip. If I said anything about my husband, that's gossip. Wow. Or you're not, you, you, I bet you're not submitting to your husband or you're not praying enough or you're not reading your Bible enough. And so many people go through that. Yeah. And the, the abuse in the church that, that you experience is so traumatizing. I fortunately did not go through that. Oh, that's Um, good. But I know so many people who have, yeah, that's so hard. And you're beaten down. So you don't think you have any value at all, except what is in your husband's identity. Correct. 
Correct. Well, it's like a grooming process. And I always say the person who goes in is never the same person who comes out. And so we truly, it truly changes who we are as human beings. And so being able to heal after something like that is, um, well, it can be lifelong. And so that, that abuse, um, really, really in it implants into who we are. So besides therapy, what else did you find useful? You know, um, I did start going back, um, to church. Now, again, I was still drinking and none of that had stopped. And so there, there were things that were still really, um, you know, keeping me in that cycle a bit. Um, so not all of the things that I turned to were healthy. Um, ah. and yep. And so, although therapy was great for me and there was some healing and I did start going back to church, I also, um, went back to some of those old, um, you know, things that were so natural for me. So mm -hmm. men, I mean, I, I started to do some of those things that just were not healthy for me. Yeah. And that's why I say by the grace of God, I eventually met my husband because there was no reason <laughs> I should have not, I mean, I could have met him, but for him to even find anything appealing in, in me, um, because healthy attracts healthy, um, was the grace of God. And so it, it was definitely, um, that, you know, God's hand was there the whole time. Oh yeah. I said about my husband, Brian right now is that we both came from abusive relationships and yeah. we all met we both met these terrible people on the dating websites yeah. just uh, kiss a lot of frogs let me tell yeah. you some really toxic people and some really bad situations because I had not healed and right I just kind of swore off dating for like maybe six months and then my husband sends me a message on this dating <laughs> dating website and yeah it was the grace of God because yeah. We've been married 12 years, oh, never had a fight. Oh my goodness. <laughs> like, I don't know. <laughs> I I mean, we disagree that. on things for sure, <laughs> yes. but there's never any, we talk yeah. about things like adults and, and there's love right. and there's respect yes. and we enjoy yes. each other's company and, and the love is there. It's, it's like polar opposites Yes. of my ex and I'm sure yours too, but yeah we we sit back and we like how did the lord bring us together that is yeah. just amazing that you know i didn't even have a profile picture <laughs> <laughs> and he had a beard at the time and i'm like i don't like beards but you know <laughs> he had something so many things that in, in common with me music and yeah. sci-fi movies and yep and we're both Bible nerds. We still like to dig in God's word. And he was an old fashioned, nice guy you meet next door. And so yeah. I definitely can relate with the God brought us together thing. Well, yeah, I, and I, 
You know, it was so interesting because I had to really relearn or learn, um, you know, how to have a healthy relationship. And, um, my, my husband, um, today when he, when we were dating, I remember thinking, oh, he's so boring. You know, he's such a nice guy. Like the nice guy is not what I was used to. And, um, it was just a very different experience. And, um, our first marriage, our first year of marriage was not easy because I was coming at it from these expectations. He was coming at it from these expectations. I was still drinking. And so, um, we had a lot of, of growing to do and a lot of learning to do, but, um, it was, and, and we, we were both very type A personalities, Mm, um, really just told God, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to do it. We're going to have this many children. This is the order you want (laughs) to bring them about, you know, this was the plan. And, um, our first year of marriage, we decided shortly after that year that we were going to start trying to have a, a family. And, and so we did, and we got pregnant right away and, um, I stopped drinking. And when I was five months pregnant, um, we went into the doctor's office and, um, we found out that we lost our baby five months pregnant because I was five months along. We had to deliver the baby in the hospital. And so I delivered a little baby boy size of my hand and, um, Mm. and you know, there was so much. And I, of course I, I started to, to drink again right away. I drank that pain away. And there was so much thinking, gosh, is this punishment? Is this, you know, what, what you're, you're punishing me for all of the things I've done in the past. And I I've tried to do it right. Well, we waited about a year and, um, then we did get pregnant again and had a, a beautiful baby girl, very uneventful pregnancy. But then we, we tried again and, um, I lost three more babies in a row. Oh, and wow. the first two, I drank the pain away. And then my, the other two babies, I, um, I let God walk me through it. And, um, you know, the, the grief was still there. The pain was still there, mm-hmm. but when I allowed God to take me through that, what a difference that made and, um, really just surrendered. Okay, God, whatever you want here, um, your will be done. And, um, we wound up getting pregnant shortly after that with, um, my daughter, my middle daughter. And then, um, I was good. I was done. I was like, we're, we're good. We got two girls. We're fine. And, um, God had other plans. My husband wanted, (laughs) my husband wanted another baby and, um, wasn't about to tell me (laughs) was not about to tell me because he didn't want to put that pressure on me. And one day we had a conversation. I said, okay, I will pray about it. (laughs) And the next day I got a 
postcard in the mail that said thinking about having another baby <laughs> like so yes you can actually get a postcard from god and so god just did some amazing things um and we had a boy and he looks just like me oh. <laughs> my other my other girls uh my girls um they look they were not at all i thought where are the this light fair skin my oldest is a redhead my middle is a blonde i was like where did this come from and so um my my boy had dark hair looks like me dark skin and um i'm just so blessed because they're all all three of them are just amazing amazing kids and i have so much fun with them but um not without challenges certainly um but god really walked us through a lot of that and um a lot of blessing out of a lot of pain yeah i remember doing those what, what are those little boxes called when you're in biology with the dominant and the recessive, oh, the recessive genes yeah 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 so you think maybe some of them came from your husband's side or i guess <laughs> i guess those recessive of genes showed up <laughs> yes yeah um it's it's great because they are both a very good mix of both of us but um yeah and my my oldest daughter looks just like my mom who is uh a redhead with fair skin okay, so yeah. yeah yeah it they god knows what he's doing <laughs> he didn't ask us not once no. <laughs> he still did okay so when when did you stop the drinking? I mean, did you go to did you go to AA or did you just stop cold turkey or how did that? Yeah. So I had my daughter um, was about eighteen months old when I quit drinking. I would put her to bed at night and not remember doing that. Um, I was drinking so much that I, I, if I had to, I was stay at home mom at the time. And if I had to wake up the next morning, I would actually set my alarm the night before, um, because I knew I wouldn't remember to do it. I was blacking out every single night. And one day I, um, I went to her crib to get her the next morning and she had, red wine was my drink of choice. And there was red wine all over her changing table, all over her crib. What? And I did not remember that. And even that did not stop me from drinking. That was something that I thought, well, even that would not stop me. But one day um, there was just a, a, a bad drunk and I thought, okay, I need to make a change. And um, and I called AA to see if they would help me cut down. <laughs> they don't do that. Um, so my husband suggested that I, uh, or I decided I was going to go to a meeting. I would try a meeting. And I went to a meeting in the, the worst part of town. But it was a noon lunch meeting. And I thought, oh, there'll be a bunch of business people there. There were not. Um, but I, I went. And it was amazing because I was hearing these stories like, you know, I, I, was a heroin addict and I stole all my roommates furniture for drugs and all this stuff. But what was so incredible is that I didn't hear the differences. I heard the similarities and mm -hmm. I heard my story in their story. 
and I, I said, okay, well, this is not for me. Um, but I, I do recognize that I have a problem. And I went home to my husband and he said, well, why don't you try a meeting close to home? And so I, I did, and it was a Wednesday night and it was at a church and I thought, oh my gosh, everybody's going to be going to the church choir. And I saw these three women walk up dressed to the nines. And one of them I recognized, one of them I had worked with, and I just had such admiration for her. And I thought, oh, these women are going to choir. And so I walked in, said hi, and I was mortified. And there was a sign in front of, of right inside the door in the foyer. And one of the women put her finger on the sign and said, oh, AA in this room. And I looked at them shocked because I thought no way could they possibly be going to a meeting. Wow. And what I, they had, they wound up taking me under their wing. We went out for coffee afterwards. And what I found out was that they had never been to that meeting before mm. and never went since. And, um, God just really placed them there, right where I needed them. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so I did get sober, um, with the help of AA and Jesus. And, um, it was, it was quite a journey, but it was cold Turkey. Um, but, um, the, the, definitely the help of, of AA in that first year was torture. And, um, sure. I remember thinking, you know, there would be sometimes I would think, well, I'm, I'm an alcoholic. No, I'm not. Yes, I am. You know, and I would go back and forth. Mm -hmm. And I remember going to a meeting with a group of, um, they call them old timers. So they had been sober for a very long time. And most of them were in their sixties and up and good mix of men and women. And, um, we were going around the room and, and I said, well, I don't know. I, I kind of struggle if I'm an alcoholic, but I think, gosh, what if, you know, when I go to Paris, I won't be able to drink wine. And somebody said, when are you going to Paris? And I said, well, I'm not, but if I go to Paris, I won't be able to drink wine <laughs> and all, all of these feelings. And, um, and God just kind of walked me through that whole entire journey. And, um, it was hard. And, and even today, I mean, there was no miraculous healing for me. I always wanted one of those, but, um, you know, even today, there are days where it's like, oh, yeah, I, a drink would be nice, but, um, but God is stronger and, um, God is good and, and he can, um, walk us through those, those difficult times where we need a crutch or we need something to hold us up. And God says, nope, I'm right here. I can do that. So. Yeah, it's been a journey. I've um, been sober now for, let's see, it was 2002. So um, is that 20, 20 years? Yes. Congratulations. That's, that's quite a feat. Thank you. Um, I, I understand your thoughts about Paris. I've been to Paris twice. And, oh, uh, see? I was on this stupid um, keto diet that my doctor had put me on and I told the doctor, so I'm going to Paris. I am not going to be on this diet because I want to eat the croissants. I want to eat right. the macarons. I want to eat, I want to eat all, all this, all this food. You go there 
for the food, right? And and the food is astronomical. And and my husband, yes. I don't I don't drink at all, but my husband wanted to try the beer and the and the wine. And and yes, everything is marvelous. But I, I totally understand <laughs> how you feel about that. Yeah. I'm going to miss out on all this yes. good food or, and wine <laughs> if, if I follow the rules and, and yeah, right, right. Um, exactly. But it is a journey and you mentioned our healing is a journey that is, that is definitely true. And it starts with showing value and worth to ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. And, and receiving that from God, just recognizing that you know, we don't have to do it on our own. We don't have to say, you know, identify, oh, I have to make myself of worth. We don't do that. He does that for us. And um, we just have to receive that love and receive that value and that identity in him. Mm -hmm. Amen. So what is your top advice for a survivor listening today that really relates to your story? Depending on where they are in their journey, I think the first thing I would say is, you know, good for you for being a survivor. Um, that when you make that decision to um, reclaim your life, that that is extremely um, courageous and um, and definitely something that, that really you should pat yourself on the back for. Um, what, what I would say is continue that healing that, that just because we've, we've left that abusive relationship or just because we're here, we're not necessarily on the other side and that, that healing continues. And, and I think sometimes we find ourselves in those old, this will date me, but playing those old tapes in our head, you know, and we find ourselves, yes, exactly. Reliving those things. And we need to, we need to hear how God sees us and that, that he calls us royalty, that he calls us his, his children. And that, that we are his, we are, we are chosen and we have been adopted by him. And I think that is something that's so important to, to really drive home in, in our heads. And, and so be in the word, read those words of encouragement of, of God saying, I love you, you are mine. And, um, and consistently, work towards that journey of healing because it is definitely not overnight. And sometimes those things can kind of sneak up on us. And um, all of a sudden we're back there in that trauma that um, we thought we had moved beyond. And so um, allowing God to continue to heal that would be my best advice. Mm. I know that you mentioned your sex trafficking project set me free uh we definitely want to hear more about that yeah so um i had worked very uh for for a long time in women's ministry in the area of victory in christ and um, that salvation was just kind of the beginning and victory in Christ is definitely a work in progress. And so worked with women in the area of addiction and domestic violence and things like that. Um, and 
the, one of the women I was working with said, Hey, we should minister to sex trafficked victims, having no idea what that meant. That was a quote. (laughs) And what I realized in our research, um, very extensive research was that it is not what it looks like or what we think it looks like. It's not the movie taken, you know, where someone's kidnapped and shipped overseas, that it is people building relationships with us and um, often on social media and that our youth are the targets Mm -hmm. of that quite often. And so God kind of took me through this, um, you know, where, okay, now what are you going to do with that? And I wound up writing curriculum. People had been trying to get in schools for years um, in our area and nobody was able to do it. And within two months time of writing a curriculum to the time we were in this, I mean, it was two months that we were in the schools. And so God moved very quickly, but the, the foundation of our curriculum and we have curriculum from third grade through college age for youth. And then we educate adults of all facets of the community because prevention education has got to be a community wide issue in order for it to really um, be effective. And prevention is key. If we can actually stop human trafficking before it starts, that's huge. I mean, the cost of restoration and recovery and, and everything. And so, um, I wrote this curriculum based on, I, I, no need to reinvent the wheel. So I started to look for curriculum, mm-hmm. but couldn't find any that was really written for youth. And it was all this kind of fear-based conversation. Um, but that doesn't work. The fear-based stuff doesn't work. And so I wrote the curriculum with the foundation of you have incredible value. Mm-hmm. Now that we know that's through Christ, uh, you can't say that in public schools. And so um, it, we became a non-faith-based organization um, so that we could go into any place that God would call us. And so the foundation is you have incredible intrinsic value that, that no one can change. And, um, and then we talk to kids about what the myths are, what the facts are. We talk about healthy relationships and social media safety, and we do it in a very engaging, interactive, and fun way. We bring a lot of humor into the topic, um, not the topic itself. We say we take our topic very seriously, but we don't take ourselves very seriously. And mm-hmm. so we bring a lot of humor into the conversation and um, a lot of activities and a lot of engagement. And we like to be a consistent presence. So we go back to the schools over and over again. And we, the kids have a blast. We have a blast with them. And it's just, it, we really see some incredible things that happen. And kids have had a really tough year. Yes. A couple of years. A couple of years. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so the student behavior has been really challenging. Um, teachers have a tough, tough time, but the amount of disclosures that we have had have increased tremendously. And so kids telling us about, um, abusive situations they're in or sexual abuse or trafficking or whatever it may be has really increased over the last two years. So it's quite a, um, very fulfilling work, but it's, it's hard work for sure. Oh yeah. So needed now. Yeah especially with the lockdowns. Yeah. Um, I'm trained um, through Mending the Soul, Princess Lost, Princess Found, which is healing from sex trafficking. Yeah. 
uh, also the vulnerable child right. curriculum. And that's kind of goes into the preventative side. But I found out when I did my mending the soul healing groups with these ladies, they're they're locked, locked up with their abusers. Sure, right. During they had nowhere COVID, to go. Yeah. The only me time they had was two hours with me a week. Right. And so the need is so so desperate for for services like yours and the world has changed yes. i know that you and i grew up without the internet without cell phones right. and even then there were there were pedophiles and there were sex traffickers sure. there but they were you know that the dirty old man hiding behind a bush somewhere or some creepy guy a driving a car it yeah took a lot more leg work yeah yeah there wasn't a whole lot of, um, you know, we didn't, we didn't even have, oh, well, we had computers. We had what the TI-99 4A and Oregon Trail. <laughs> you can get dysentery for fun, but. Uh, and those people still built relationships, but they had to do it by, you know, I'm going to go to the restaurant you're waitressing at every day, or I'm going to spend time at your, um, you know, your football game. Mm -hmm. whatever it may be yeah. um it just it was a lot harder it took a lot more work yeah, yeah. with the internet age it is it's That's scary so i don't i don't have any children my my husband brian has children grown children now but i'd be terrified <laughs> about yeah. my kids being on the internet i mean i don't know yeah. how i don't know how parents yeah deal with that it's hard. And one of the things we do as um, an organization is that our goal is to really, we do a lot of parent education as well. And a lot of that we do virtually um, with parents. But one of the things that we really try and do is our goal is to really empower. We want parents to walk away feeling empowered and having the tools that they need to help their kids safely navigate that. And um, and not be fearful because, um, although it is a very scary thing, there are tools that we can use as parents to really help our kiddos navigate that safely. That's awesome. That's good information. And I know you, you have a lot of resources on your website. You've got your podcast. So mm -hmm. How can people yeah. connect with you and Absolutely. get your resources? You bet. Well, the easiest way is to go to stephanieolson.com. That's S-T-E-P-H-A-N-I-E-O-L-S-O-N. Um, and um, you can find me on Facebook um, and Twitter and Instagram at Stephanie Speaking um, Stephanie Olson speaking. I don't even know how to find me, but if you go to my website, there's you can find me on Facebook um, and um, all of the socials um, and the podcast. Um, you can subscribe to the podcast called Resilience and Life and Leadership. And we do, we talk about resilience. And, and so that can be um, anything from um, you know, I'm, I'm struggling in an abusive relationship and I got out or whatever it may be. But today, um, I talked to a woman who had recently lost 200 pounds and, um, is, um, still in that journey, but running, um, triathlons and all the things. And so, 
you know, we talk about anything that really is about resilience. And I love, I love podcasting because you get to meet so many amazing people. Yeah. Meet otherwise. So it's fabulous. Yeah. I totally agree. I wouldn't be able to meet people like you, Stephanie. Yeah, exactly. I love your testimony and your, your journey that you brilliantly shared with us and your, your love for the victims of sex trafficking. And I so appreciate you coming on the show. I hope you keep in touch. Thank you. I will. I have really been blessed and I appreciate the work that you're doing. Thank you. God bless. Thank you for listening to the Wounds of the Faithful podcast. If this episode has been helpful to you, please hit the subscribe button and tell a friend. You can connect with us at dswministries.org, where you'll find our blog along with our Facebook, Twitter, and our YouTube channel links. Hope to see you next week.